0: Travis Joponic is a master software engineer currently with Capital One. His previous decade of experience has included work in finance, government, education, and a series of multi-industry startups. His areas of expertise include legacy system conversion, cybersecurity, and application performance, as well as recent projects in service discovery, a topic we delve into in detail in this episode. Travis, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Love to hear like your uh, two-minute story for the audience. Hey, th- uh,
1: thanks a lot for having me today, David. Um, so right now, I'm currently at Capital One, been there for a little bit over a year, have uh, extensive experience in Department of Defense, National Security Arena.
0: Travis, you and I spoke off mic about service discovery in your work at Capital One, and I wondered if you would jump into that and we can use that as a starting point.
1: Service discovery, very briefly, is just the way that developers and product owners, for example, can find new and exciting code implementations so they can build out new functionality. So everybody builds out their own little microservice that does, oh, I want to query this customer database and get some small piece of information about the customer. And at a certain point, you'll have an entire collection of microservices that are all independent. That way they can scale independently and nobody worries about things crashing or anything of that nature then from the service discovery standpoint you want to be able to stitch those things together in a meaningful way and the way you do that is through techniques in service discovery and this can be as simple as when you launch your microservice you have some header information that goes to what i'll call a mothership of sorts and what that'll do is it'll say hey service x i can now capture this piece of customer data and anybody else who wants to use this piece of customer data just go right here to our registry or essentially a registry and from there you can start stitching things together uh, and that's kind of at a very high level very broadly touching on service discovery and the whole
0: registry concept. This appeals to me because I come from like an enterprise knowledge management background. Mm -hmm. And um, this is very similar to that type of idea. It's like we know someone throughout this organization had an idea, probably developed some intellectual property, maybe delivered a solution already that we're now going to pay money to to rediscover, or we want to resell something to somebody else. We want to solve an existing problem, but how do we know whether or not something existed? And if something did, exist already? Was it the same problem? Uh, it's just like, how do you search the library of all the things <laughs> that you can do? Um, mm-hmm. And once you find it, is that actually the same thing that I want to do? And also, am I allowed to even do that? Or should I build my own? And it's like a, sort of this internal build or buy kind of discussion. I imagine like there's all kinds of human and organizational problems that you need to deal with in this domain.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely correct, David. The, uh, the whole tension around service discovery, you know, working with many engineers uh, over my time as part of teams and as consulting with other teams, I I find that we all believe We can just do slightly better, or in some cases more more better than our predecessors had before us. So a lot of times people want to go and boil the ocean and rebuild everything from the ground up because the the microservice that's available doesn't solve this very niche problem that can't be generalized. And that seems to be the line of thinking that happens a lot with these microservice architectures and and registries in general. What what I find is most teams have to do is they say 1.0 provides 90% of the functionality. And now we've decided we can either build version 1.1 and then begin to be the team that takes ownership of this new exciting version and have to deal with the entire support tail that comes with it. Or they build something completely new in a bubble and say, well, we're the only team that needs to build this, so now we'll have duplicate code, duplicate capability, and now when the business comes in and changes their mind, we now have this situation where I now have to patch multiple microservices, and you, you start getting into these walled garden style scenarios where teams become so entrenched in saying, well, we've done it better, and but we don't want to share with anybody because then we have to support this at the at this enterprise level. A way to kind of make that less difficult uh, on teams, you know, is where they believe, oh, this this microservice doesn't solve my problem. I, I found teams that will publish services to, to a registry, if they also provide the source code, whether that's a GitHub link or Bitbucket or whatever you're having to be using, it will enable these other teams to say, hey, instead of us taking this whole ownership thing, let, let's help this team move forward and start solving these new business problems. So now you get into the whole developer culture or the engineering culture where we can say, well, here, I'll give you a pull request. I don't want to own this problem set, but I'd really like it if you own this problem set. I'm willing to write all the code, I just don't want the enterprise governance (laughs) that lives with kind of running these things. In those situations, it may actually be a case where the way the governance is rolled out has some um, rough edges that could be smoothed over. And if those edges were smoothed over, maybe more teams would be willing to engage in these kind of, let's share everything. Let's all take, uh, I don't want to say the burden, but you know, the, the shared experience of managing enterprise level systems and being able to enable our partners, you know, whether that's internal partners or external partners to be successful.
0: We're pretty hooked up in the, the open source community. And when you see the discussions around open source, it's, it's very often around like, wow, it's so difficult to be an owner because, you know, everybody wants you to sort of merge their PR and everybody wants you to do all the things and handle the support and all that. And that's really where the friction happens. And right. uh, you, you actually see project owner burnout because they can't distribute the ownership burden. It really isn't about the code in all those cases. It's actually about, you know, sort of the ancillary support that is really the human problems around the code.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's always humans that make the like, code is so beautiful all by itself and then then the users get a hold of it. The other teams get a hold of it and then it, it just falls apart. And much like in the open source community, in some of my experiences, for example, there was, there was one case where we were trying to get FIPS compliance because we were on some government system. But this open source project was kind of hosted out of Europe and they were like, well, we don't care about FIPS. And I was like, well, you know, it would be super great if we could use this. And they were like, well, just use something else or just monkey patch this Ruby gem. And I was like, well, yeah, but now when you patch, now I can't get the next version of Ruby and I'm in this constant cycle. But yeah, it's all about trying to show that, yeah, you want to be a part of the community you want to try and make it as easy on the quote maintainer or the product owner, because you're right. Eventually, those people will leave. They'll find new projects. Nobody's going to want to pick those things up and keep running with them as, as they start talking with the previous product owner. They'll say, well, what happened here? How, how, did, how did we get here? And a, any project, no matter how large or small, the handoff piece can also impact the way that some of these other governance-related issues creep in.
0: Microservices are largely supposed to solve organizational abstraction and being able to work on and not have to release your entire monolith. In, let's say, you know, traditional C++ sort of object-oriented programming, you would have this concept of a a master class that you would then be able to extend and not break the master. Why don't services adhere to, and is there any infrastructure or architecture to think about services in that way where I can rely upon a master architecture of a grand service, but then do some extensions, you know, on my own without having this problem.
1: Right. Well, in that case, the traditional programming model, SOA, the original SOA from like the early 2000s, mid 2000s, where we learned a whole bunch of lessons about how, yes, services are great, but they shouldn't be two million lines of code when we push them out. In my experience with microservices, what you actually find is duplicated code is completely okay. Because in, in the master child class relationship that you were describing, what we find that is then we have these libraries that get passed around. The problem then moves, now I have this master library that I have to kind of patch, and then the distribution problem goes up up a level. And in the microservice way, the current trend seems to be that, oh, let's just fix this 60 line deployment instead of trying to get this shared library So so I think that the trend that I've seen is, yeah, let's go for code duplication. Libraries really come into play when you're talking about very specific problems I've seen. Security libraries, for example. There are very few groups that should be out there rolling their own crypto or security packages. And those are things that should be shared. Like, for example, OAuth or the OAuth 2 spec nobody should try to reimplement that current <laughs> no microservice team should say ah oh I well, too fooey I'll, I'll go my own route and make something even better and more flexible you know now like I said now you get to the point where you eat code duplication at the cost of flexibility and replacement of microservices. because now what you can do instead of having to worry about this whole deprecation chain on a library where the that master pattern that gets applied across now you can say oh well Ruby is no longer a language that we care about hand this off to someone New team, get some new features in there, and uh, now it's in Rust or, or Go Lang or whatever the, the language of the day happens to be.
0: You really are still down to the the classic challenge of you know, do I centralize or do I decentralize, and what are the trade offs one way or the other? You continue to pay that organizational bill. If I decentralize greatly, then I deal with duplication and siloing. If if I mm-hmm. Centralized greatly, than I deal with like sort of the the challenge of the code monolith, and it, it doesn't ever seem to go away. There, it's it's just a sort of a pendulum balance kind of thing based on the technology that is currently available and, and which version it supports better. Does does that resonate? Because it sounds like that's the kind of situation you get in.
1: When I first started, everything was client server, client server, star, server farms. Then it was oh, push as much to the client as you possibly can because their clients are so powerful now. We could not envision a time when we'd have to do server-side computing again. And now we have all of these cloud vendors that are out there, and they say, oh, well, now shove everything back to the server. We'll do all the compute. The the cycle I'm seeing come back up now is the whole client-server model, just in general going back to something we were talking about previously, the server in this case would be that service registry, and then all the clients, dumb clients if you will, will now connect to this and say, oh, here, use this very little small aspect and then pass it around. I I try to conceptualize it almost like if if you had a ping pong ball, and you were moving the ping pong ball, and that's the current packet that you're tracing. And How does it go between all of these different clients and then eventually make it back into this overseer registry? You know, I I think you're absolutely right. The current technology says, server-side computing is essentially free. Storage is free. So let's load everything on the server. And now we're getting, coming back to the client-server model. And you know, I think we'll see this cycle in another five years where, oh, who would envision having a server in the cloud? Now, shove that all on this mobile phone that has 100 gigs of RAM, and the server will get to it when it gets to it.
0: Maybe there is this sort of grand convergence where, you know, all, well, every cell phone is really just an unlimited node on the, the cloud you're experiencing and talking about these things, you know, from a discoverability standpoint from the enterprise, huge multi-team you know, environments, and yet these same things are going to happen to any organization. Probably once you leave five or six developers, and even maybe break into sub teams, and certainly if you're in a microservices architecture, from the the standpoint of rolling out a, a scalable cloud app, this stuff needs to be thought about early on to avoid becoming a total technical debt disaster. That 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 can't scale and and can't roll out quickly. It's not just a large company problem.
1: Ultimately, you will hit that point of either team scale or code base scale or or service scale where you need this kind of centralized location where other teammates can pull information. But it, it reminds me of, whenever in school I would have to write a paper. It's like, oh, if you write the paper first and then do the outline later, of course it's easy to say, well, of course this is what we needed. Look look how my outline matches my end result. But in, in the startup space, where I've had some experiences in the past, you, you don't want to be overbearing and miss that key time to market aspect. Sure, it's great. We have this awesome service discoverability, this whole governance thing, we've made negative $100 <laughs> this week. We might be in trouble. I, I think it'd be very rare. That the judgment that has to be applied there, I think is really once you get out of that kind of, you know, two pizza team mode, an analogy there. Once you start getting to more than two teams, three teams, then it's like, well, let's start ca- trying to solve these communication problems. Because as, as we know, it scales super linear. <laughs> it's it's not just one-to-one, it's one-to-n, or I forget how that grows exactly, but it's not as clean as one would hope.
0: It's the communication channels measurement of multiple people, N times N minus one or something like that. But, exactly. exactly. You know, we'd have to look that up for the show notes, but I believe exactly. that's the calculation. Right, and it becomes this constellation of, you know, basically it's once you can't yell across the garage anymore. I need that thing. And and every function in the business faces that. So it's it's neat as a business thinker to to see some of that technology, you know, just keeps running into the same things. You know, like it, it's not going to solve all your problems and we still need to act like people and collaborate. Well, Travis, any finishing thoughts? You know, uh, for our audience of professional freelancers, I know you've been in the game yourself.
1: The the one thing I can offer in kind of the whole umbrella that we've been chatting under, it, it's all about speed to market. And if you can be fast and stable, you're you're gonna have super value add. And, and it'll be rough at times, but you know, eventually we'll will make it through the journey. That's how I've always perceived these kind of difficult problems. <laughs>